Hey, everybody. Welcome to What You Doing, Episode 7. Today is the start of a series I've been actually wanting to do for quite a while. It's called Why Is Science So Hard? You could say Why Is Science So Freaking Hard or whatever you want to say, but Why Is Science So Hard? Today, we have my friend Michelle. She is an actual scientist, a real a real one, so they do exist, that works for the government. And we're going to talk about the, why is science so hard. So we're going to have talk to Michelle in just a second. Hey, Michelle. What's happening? Hi, Andy. <laughs> Are you excited? So, Michelle, why is science so hard? Uh, that's a very difficult question to answer (laughs) as a scientist, parts of it are hard, but, um, not all of it is as hard to me as it could be for some people. A lot of it is the way our brains are actually wired, I think, for what makes science easier for some people than for others, sort of like artistic minds. Yep. That makes sense. Totally. There are scientific minds as well. (laughs) So the reason I wanted to have this and I'm, I'm really hoping to have a bunch of different scientists, you know, you scientist type, as you just said, um, to explain, like, I feel, especially with this year, we see so many things with COVID or, I mean, there's so many different things that you hear about that are considered controversies. And one of the things that I always hear is, well, they just change their minds all the time. Like, and I was like, well, I don't think they change their minds all the time. I mean, there's a process, right? There's a scientific process. We go through things, they iterate. And I was like, man, I don't know. Maybe that's true. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not a scientist. I'm just some dude that does a podcast. I don't freaking know. So I was like, (laughs) man, I should have some people on and talk about that. So let's just start from the beginning. Let's go super basic. Okay. And you can just laugh. It's okay. The dog's having a drink, guys. That's all that's happening. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. He's thirsty. He's just, everyone needs a drink. In fact, I'll have a little sip of tea. All right. So, no, but seriously, um, let's just start from the very, like, fundamentals. Like, when you're trying to discover something, and I know when me and you were doing show prep last week, like, the Isaac Newton in, the, in gravity, when he dropped the apple or and it hit the ground or it hit him on the head, whatever flavor of the story you want to hear, how does that go from, wow, I think there's a thing called gravity to gravity is a thing and it's a fact and it's a thing that we all should know? Um, so first off, it's really complicated uh, when you just start throwing in words like fact um, because (laughs) as a scientist, we have a lot of the same words that are used in everyday um, conversations, but they have drastically different meanings than what we would use in everyday conversations. So um, things like theory, instead of someone that's saying, oh, I have a theory about that. Like a theory is really important in scientific community, actually, because a theory means that it has been proven over and over and over again. And in fact, gravity is still a theory in science. Whoa, seriously? <laughs> so it's the theory of relativity um, is, is one of them that, we're, um, that we talk about. And so it's because it, it's one of those things that has to be um, proven constantly and it can, um, it can always change, right? So science is something that is constantly able to change. So today, gravity could be this. 
But tomorrow, somebody else could come up with something completely different, and that's changed our idea of what gravity really is. Because gravity isn't just about that apple falling to Earth. It's about how planets interact with each other, how planets interact with moons, how planets interact with suns, how suns interact with each other, how atoms interact, and how black holes interact. So it's not just about the Earth's gravity. It's about gravity in the entire universe. Okay, so now... Before we actually started recording, I did tell Michelle that I'll probably start breaking up fundamentals and then I'll ask you a question thinking I know the answer and then I'll be proven utterly wrong. It's happened in five minutes. (laughs) So we got that already. So check that box on dumb guy just hosting a podcast. Um, Okay, so let's break that down. So theory so is fact a thing in science? Is that is that something the science like, like, oh, this is a fact. I mean, you see those cartoons. Oh, it's a fact. And the guy's got the poofy mustache, maybe the, the weird hair. Is that is that not a thing? Um, so it's really difficult. It depends on which um, definition you look at. But the way that I have found that facts are defined in science is that something that can be scientifically measured over and over and over again. So the Earth's gravity is something that can be scientifically measured. Uh, yes. So more so, specific versus just saying gravity. It's it's you have to be specific in what you're defining. Right. And so if it can be measured over and over and over and over again, then that's something that can be a fact. But it has to be measurable and it has to be done by more than one person and it has to be the same every time. And so what's the so what is the definition of a theory compared to a fact? Well, so a theory is um, a substantiated explanation. Oh, sorry. That's my dog making that's more okay. noise. He's fine. <laughs> he just wants to be part of the show. I understand. Um, but it's a substantiated uh, explanation of some aspect of the natural world um, that we can incorporate the facts and laws that we already know about. Um, and we can test a hypothesis on that theory. And every like more than one person can test that theory. Um, and that they come up with a similar result. So theories are actually really important in science, and they mean more than just like a thought that came into your head. It's, it takes a lot to get to a theory. So a hypothesis, I mean, this is going to be awful. This is Andy uh, defining, so just bear with me. <laughs> a hypothesis is almost like what I would call a theory, right? Like Andy has a theory, so that's just a thought maybe like that I have that, Maybe, you know, when I flip a coin in the air, it'll always land in a certain position. That's a hypothesis I have or a theory in more lambs term. But a theory is something a lot much more provable and measurable versus just a, just a thought. Right. So a hypothesis is actually something that like is the initial stages of the scientific method. And that's I think that this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And here's how I'm going to do my experiment. So okay. that's the hypothesis. So there's actually even more thought in a hypothesis than just a thought that goes through your head. Like there's actually almost a process that's already happened. You're kind of already have an idea of what you want to um, look at and how you're going to measure that. I think usually um, people generally start out with, um, well, here's something that's going to need some testing. Um, But in order to get to that point, a lot of people observe the world that's already around them in order to come up Mm -hmm. with like, oh, well, this is why I think of something that we should probably look at further. Wow. Okay. So observation would then lead to an hypothesis, 
Yes. Which then would come, you would get some results and then you could t- say, hey, look what I did. Scientific community, you should do that too to s- make sure I'm not crazy. <laughs> and I assume that's peer reviewing. Is that is that accurate-ish, roughly? Okay. <laughs> so okay, okay. What <laughs> I mean, I threw too much in there. Shoot. <laughs> wow, I mean, I am, in- <laughs> I'm dumber in this than I thought I would be. <laughs> well, it is really complicated because... So you come up with a hypothesis for something that you want to test. You figure out how you want to test it by designing an experiment. You observe your results. You decide whether those results were what you thought they were going to be or that they were something different. And you either go back to your hypothesis and reformulate it and restructure it into a way that actually fits what the experiment is that you are doing. Because sometimes you get results that are very different than what you expect. So you kind of go back to the drawing board or you move further. And you can uh, report your results and draw conclusions off of those. Um, But then before you can actually publish anything is a lot of times when you get other people that do similar things. Mm. So publishing is kind of a whole other aspect of. I was just about to say, maybe I was like, I don't know if I should ask this because I think I know what you're going to say. It's complicated. It is. It is kind of. It's it's actually very difficult to be published. Um, There are a lot of scientific journals And each of them sort of have a specialty. So you have to know what your audience is going to be before you ask ask to be published. Mm. Um, Because if, like, I'm doing something in chemistry and I think that it should be published in a medical journal, well, those two, while they might be correlated like they're cousins, Mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily fit the audience of the people reading a medical journal. It should be in a chemistry journal. So you have to know your audience. And a lot of times that comes out with the experiment itself. Um, Also with peer reviewed journals, a lot of times what you have to do is build off of work that someone else has done. Mm. And so you have to find other peer reviewed articles that have already been published to use in your articles in order to draw just a little bit further. Like you, we don't generally take leaps and bounds in writing in journals because it's hard to get accepted and published that way. So you have to take small baby steps to actually get there. Um, But in doing that, you have to be reviewed by your peers, people in the same field as you, um, or at least in the field of the journal that you're trying to get published in. Um, And they review your work scientifically to see if it is um, valid conclusions that you were drawing. Wow. Okay. So say you go through the experiment and people find different results. Like what, what, how does that happen? Is that, is that a common thing? Is that uh is that rare or is it, what happens when that, when that situation comes up? I wouldn't say that's rare. Um, that's kind of exciting in science, actually, because uh, <laughs> depends. it depends on what you're actually doing, right? So uh-huh. um, depending on the study, if you find the exact same thing that someone else did, cool, like we all found the same thing. But if you found something different, now we get to figure out why they're different. Mm. And was it because I only had males in my study? and you had a mixture of males and females in your study, was it because my age group was narrower than the age group that this other person used? Was it that I had healthier people in my study and they had more of the average population? Like there's all these variables that go into it. And that's why studies can be different and draw different conclusions 
Um, it just, you really have to read the studies to see what the differences were. And a lot of articles actually that are peer reviewed in the end of the um, articles usually say this requires further study by this and this and this and this, like they mm-hmm. point out their own flaws in their studies because they know that they're limited. Like there's no way we can do every study on every single thing. We have barriers and boundaries that we have to stick to, whether it's because of funding or time. Um, and so that is a really good place to start if you're seeing conflicting journals to see, oh, well, this person said that they were missing these aspects. Did this other article actually cover those aspects or are they at the exact same narrow um, information and actually drew different conclusions? Because that's a completely different situation too. So when you read these articles, and I I mean, I've read some studies and I won't lie, they hurt my head mostly. Um, (laughs) I guess it does depend a little bit on what it is. If If I understand... This, the subject a little bit, I can follow a little bit better, but I, I would say in general, the one, some of the ones I've read are, are very tough to read. They're very sciencey is my technical term that I'm going to use. Um, what, I mean, at what point do you go, wow, this is now a theory the scientific community is going to accept. I mean, from based on what you're saying, that seems like years. I mean, probably oh, yeah, it I doesn't mean, happen overnight <laughs> i was like <laughs> i mean just to have something come up i mean something simple and then have someone do another experiment that's similar and then you start collaborating and then publishing i mean that doesn't even sound close to like everyone going yep that's that's a theory we're gonna move on like it seems like that's just the very 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 first step in a very long amount of man hours and people hours and research and digging into it Yeah, it takes a long time to um, get something to that point because somebody devotes their entire life to this theory or their entire career, at least, to studying this. Well, that's great. And they have done so much work to get us there, but their work alone is not going to get to a point where it can validate a theory to a point where we're just going to accept it in the scientific community. Somebody else, somebody completely independent of that person, not a protege, Mm -hmm. not somebody else that's worked with them, somebody completely different than them has to come out and get the same results. And I mean, how often does that happen? Is that, is that a common thing in science or do you see, is that more of like a rarity? I mean, I could see like maybe it happens in the U S and then someone in China does the same. I mean, that would, that seems like logical, but is that, does that happen? (laughs) Um, I mean, given like, given the number of theories that we learn in school science, even like high school science and stuff like that, I wouldn't think that it happens very often. Yeah. Just I, I, that, like, <laughs> you're thinking like the, um, the theory of evolution is one of them. And then like I was talking about with gravity earlier, like those are big ones. Those are huge. Um, but it's not like you just hear like, oh, I have a theory about how to drive my car today. Like they're, they're big life-changing like universal things that happen and um in order to be a scientific theory that covers like a lot of different ranges i don't think just happens often it's it's not just one discipline that we're talking about right Mm -hmm. we're talking about physics we're talking about biology these are big world things and they don't happen very often um and I know you focus mostly on chemistry, at least I hope not. I hope that's what I ha- I have right. If not, you can just nod your head and just acknowledge, just pretend because it'll make me feel better because I'm already feeling dumb. Um, 
I mean, in your life, in your professional field, have you been like reading into your field and like, oh my gosh, that's that's an amazing breakthrough. I mean, has that happened in your life yet? Um, no, I mean, usually you don't get like eureka moments uh, with these <laughs> things, right? <laughs> oh. Usually like not personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, I love science. I think it's really cool. I have moments where I just get super nerded out and I just love what I did today. And I think that's like a big moment for me, but it's Mm -hmm. not going to change the world of chemistry Mm -hmm. for what I did on the small scale. Um, Honestly, like I said, what it really is for the most part is like baby steps. And Mm -hmm. um, it's even getting to push it like the smallest bit is really cool in science because science is such a big thing. It's hard to move it. So if you get to be a part of it at all, it's, it's pretty exciting. So, I mean, the baby steps thing is kind of making me think a little bit and I, and tell me if you think differently, but now that I'm like kind of diving into this whole process that I apparently had no idea how it worked. Um, do you think when people read studies and they're obviously not reading the journals, right? They're reading usually a pundit's opinion of probably someone else's opinion of the journal entry, right? Uh, I would imagine <laughs> that that's probably, I mean, probably pretty accurate. And then a couple of years later, they read a different study that again, same kind of same process, right? Probably a pundit's opinion of someone else's opinion of an article and they're conflicting, and then they get kind of like, well, I read that, you know, I'm just going to use this as an example, wine cures cancer. And now I read that wine doesn't cure cancer. What, Which one's true? Like, is that kind of why you see that in science? And when you're not in the field, you probably think it's really bad. But that sounds like it's a fairly, maybe not common, but that does totally happen. Yeah. And I actually was just listening to a different podcast about this. Um, and it, this top very topic actually came up, oh, which I thought was really interesting. <laughs> um, and what's interesting about it is that it's goes back to statistics, um, is, is kind of where a lot of those studies come from mm-hmm. and the, um, the group of the people that were involved in the study. So, for instance, your wine example um, of of curing cancer, let's say that there was a study that came out and said that this group of people was found that they didn't get cancer for whatever reason. Well, the fact that they all drank wine for dinner was maybe a part of the um, concluding statements that this author wrote, um, but it probably wasn't the only thing that the author mm. wrote about. Um, and so the person reading the article just decided that that one part of it was maybe the most exciting one to them, that wine was a good thing. Oh, interesting. Um, and so that like snippet gets pulled out. Well, so if you did the exact same thing to the next study that comes out, and that study had a mixture of people who drank wine and didn't drink wine, and they saw no causal relationship to how that helps with cancer, then in the next newspaper article that you read that's not peer-reviewed that says, just kidding, wine is not something that's going to cure cancer, it sounds like it's conflicting, but really there were all of these other things that went into that first study, and wine just happened to be one of them that they said, oh, well, this was part of this group, Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't necessarily equal no cancer. Yeah, and that's and that's a lot of the causation versus was it correlative studies? I mean, you have 
when you look at statistical analysis is sometimes the cause, the causations you're kind of guessing, right? When you're, yeah, I mean, you don't really, you can't really do a cause and effect relationship in mm-hmm. scientific studies. We can only show you the facts and we can say that this is what I saw. This is what I observed. And this is the group of the people that I studied. And here's all the information that I can give you. And here's the stuff that we weren't able to test, right? Like I said, at the end, that's the last part of it. Like we were not able to do this further studying needs to be done. But in that first group of everything, like here's all the information for you. Here's what we did. Like that's great and all, but there's, there's still limitations. And me saying that, oh, well, my entire group just happened to be marathon runners or something. I bet if you all ran marathons, you wouldn't get cancer. Well, maybe those people were healthy enough that they could still run marathons, mm-hmm. but and not the other way around. But the scientific paper isn't going to be able to determine which one was which. Yep. So we just have to give the facts, and we can't interpret what the reasoning for those facts is. And that's why you want to have a lot of studies on one topic, because you're going to start seeing maybe things pop up and it might draw new conclusions or weed out other conclusions. Is that kind of accurate? Yeah. And I think that's why, like I said before, when you sort of laughed at me that it's exciting to get differing opinions Mm. from people. It's not that I want to have muddied waters as a scientist where people are like, Oh, um, wine is good for you. And wine is bad for you because there's more than just those things. There's a lot more information in the studies than just a one line sentence. Um, so it's exciting to see the differentiations and because I think every study lets us learn just something a little more. Just a tiny bit more though. Right. I mean, that, that, right. that, that seems like kind of the theme of this. And I, I feel that the like, people that I know is that's where they get frustrated. Right. We live in such an on-demand world where, I mean, Michelle, right now I could go on Amazon and order a barbecue and it would be here in a day. <laughs> Maybe even assembled. Like, I mean, so when you when you say like, oh, we have this, you know, we'll use COVID as uh, this this virus, right? And you hear so many things, people just go into panic mode because they're like, I just heard 15 people say different things. But from what you're saying is that's how it works. Yeah, I mean, that's science. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's, well... And honestly, the science itself isn't changing. Mm -hmm. It's the interpretation of the science that takes many forms. And it's, you know, whether or not you have trustworthy sources that you're coming from. Because, like I said, a a newspaper article isn't the same as a peer-reviewed article. Mm -hmm. And something that you see in your local newspaper that doesn't have a good source may not be the same as going to the CDC website. You know, so I think that's the complicated part, and it's sort of a game of telephone. If you can't find the original source, then perhaps it's been skewed by the time you actually read that information. So going to the source and seeing it from the scientifically scientifically backed um, place, wherever that is, it's a journal article or if it's like a reputable website, that's really where you get the meat of the information. And that isn't going to conflict with itself unless there's new information. So this is perfect segue into the the other thing I really wanted to talk to you about is, um, as we have definitely defined more than once in this, in this small interview is I don't know anything about this stuff. How do I know what I'm reading is good? Like, okay, I read an, I read an, a newspaper article 
and they even cite the source. Well, okay, like in general, I trust this newspaper. Let's just say I do, but they link the source. How do I like? How do you even start interpreting that on how good that source is and how good their um, experiments are? Yeah, I um, I would say anything that has a source is always a good place to start uh, because your newspaper is probably not going to be the most accurate information, even though I know that they're trying to um, give you really um, good stuff for you to continue your learning with. Right. So, Oh, here's the most up-to-date information on COVID they're trying, but they're also not of a scientific mind. So that's probably harder for them too, Mm -hmm. because a lot of scientific papers have a lot of jargon in them. Um, But if they have a source, I would go to that source and then look at, the article that that source has. Um, If that source doesn't seem very reputable, which again, you can look at their website. It should say whether or not it's peer reviewed on the website Mm -hmm. um, because most even um, like print paper articles are now online. You can find a lot of them online. And so if you look on their websites, they should say that they're peer reviewed um, because that's a really big distinction. Nobody, you can't just put that on there. It has to actually be verified. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you're still not sure about the journal, um, which I will say journals are the peer reviewed source, not just random websites. You have to have journal websites. Um, so how then do you, can you know, go, I mean, this might sound like a ridiculous question, but how do you know it's a journal? Oh, well, they usually start with journal of, Oh, or, okay. um, like, or something journal, you know, they, they still have, they have that title. They want to be really official. Mm-hmm. And so they, uh, most of them have that sort of terminology somewhere in the title of whatever journal it is. Um, um, it just depends on the field that it's in for mm-hmm. what the other words are going to be. Right. Um, so a newspaper, a magazine, those are not peer reviewed. Um, mm-hmm. And then there are a lot of journals out there that are containing articles written by professional people or academics that may be considered experts, um, but aren't actually experts in their field. Oh, Um, okay. And those are not peer reviewed journals. So that's what I think you can sometimes get a lot of this inaccurate information um, spreading because people are reading journals that they think may be peer reviewed, but they're not actually peer reviewed journals. Um, So it does kind of muddy the waters a little bit there. Um, if you have any access to um, university um, libraries, they have a search engine that you can use that actually says whether or not the journals are peer reviewed. Oh, wow. So that's a great way to look for things because you can actually narrow it down and only see the, the journals that are peer reviewed. The ones that aren't will just completely be left out of your search. Wow. Um, and I believe that there is a website that can do it as well, but I don't know that off the top of my head because I have access to the government websites that I can just just do that. Very, Um, very very valid. And I I, will say a lot of them you have to pay for too, to actually get access to them, unless you have access to the university libraries. Do local libraries have that too, or is that mostly just university libraries? I'm not positive on the local libraries. I know that it's really an academic um, type thing. So I think because you have to pay for it, it's probably not something local libraries would have, but I'm not a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I, I would assume that too. I don't know that though, but, um, 
that would make sense to me. I'm sure local libraries probably don't have a huge need for, for that as well. Maybe there is now. I mean, there's just so much bad information going around. So, so say I find an article, right? And it's, it's triggering it. And I don't even think it was triggering against maybe it's for what I believe or, or maybe what I want to believe. Um, and so break this down for me, make sure I got this right. First thing to do is understand that it's probably not a journal, right? <laughs> let's, let's it's a possibility. <laughs> I mean, I see some link. We'll just say on Facebook because I love picking on Facebook. It's probably not a journal. I don't know. I've I've ever seen a journal shared on Facebook. And again, I'm not on Facebook a lot, but I was back in my college days. And even then, I don't remember anyone sharing journals. So I think that's I'm not a, sure that they're shareable on Facebook. Yeah, that's what I wondered too. <laughs> so I'm probably reading either a reputable or unreputable news source. So that's something to always keep in mind. If they're if they are not sourcing anything, probably a giant red flag is is the first stage. Is that is that yeah? Sound, that, does I that think sound so. Valid? Um, because, like I said, even before with the like even peer-reviewed journal articles, they always reference something else because we're just building on the science that's already there. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have any reference material, then like we don't know where you're basing the science that you're working with now, or if it's just completely made out of thin air, like um, it's, it's always based off of other things. And so an article will always have references at the end of it. That's showing where it got, at least it's starting point for the hypothesis. Mm -hmm. And if they do reference them, check them and make sure it's coming from a journal, which you may or may not have access to, but I assume you would at least have an idea that it's in that journal. You may not, maybe you might get a snippet of the article. You might only get a headline of the article, but you would probably have an idea that that article is in a journal. Is that accurate? Yeah. And I think a lot of our, um, a lot of journals, I think, if you are searching for articles on, um, so a website that's really great is PubMed. Mm. Um, and that one you can, if, if you can't read the full article, you can usually at least read the abstract and get the author's information. And sometimes you can, um, sometimes they do have free versions of those articles. So that would be a good place to start to, to look up, um, look up those um, types of articles and, and kind of get a synopsis of what their full article is about, even if you don't have access to read the whole thing, which I would highly recommend reading the whole thing and not just the abstract, because there's a reason that they wrote the entire article. Damn it. And I they just usually about that. point out things. I was just things. about to ask, is that something you would recommend for people like me to read? Okay, that answers my question there. Okay. I think it's a great place to start, and you get to see where the article is. But if you're going to say that this is 100% what they said in the abstract and there is no way it's anything else, then you're really missing a lot of their conclusions and the further testing that they think is required. And you're actually missing their scope of their analysis because they don't put that all in the abstract. The abstract is supposed to be exactly that, a really small synopsis of what their paper is about so that you can kind of get the headline and decide whether or not you want to delve deeper. That is... That's really good advice, and I probably should be better at that. <laughs> so, okay, last question, and I, I, I think this is probably like, I'm guessing pe- when people listen to this, they're going to be thinking the same thing. 
Oh my God, I cannot read a journal. I have tried before. They hurt my head. How do I even go about that when I don't, I don't have your brain, Michelle. I don't think scientifically like you do. I am definitely not. I don't, I mean, I'm not really on the artsy side either, so I don't know where my head is. But, uh, I mean, if I'm trying to read an article, we'll just use the wine example, right? Because it's just easy and pretty, I think it's uh, very tame in terms of uh, making people get hyped up. I mean, I'm reading it. I'm like, whoo, they are, this is really hurting my head. Do you have any tricks or tips of like how to handle that? Like, is it worth maybe like, okay, if you can't understand it, maybe the abstract is okay. Or like, do you just kind of fight through it and get through it eventually? I am. That's hard to say because I have my brain, right? Uh, Fully, fully uh, cannot go into your body to figure this out. But I, um, I, like I said, I definitely think it's worth reading the abstract. If you understand that enough to draw your interest and you want to keep reading, then I highly recommend it, even if there are hard parts mm-hmm. to go through that. Because, like I said, a lot of stuff can be technical jargon in scientific articles. Um, and usually they will explain at least part of that mm-hmm. um, to tell you, well, this is like, this is what I mean by this. And then you can sort of piece it together. It's just like learning how to read in the beginning. Mm. You don't necessarily know every single word that you're reading, but you're pushing through it anyway. And you're eventually going to learn that. And the meaning of the word will come through, right? Like when, at least that's what I learned when I was learning how to read is that you finish the whole sentence. And then if there's words you don't know, then either you look them up in the dictionary or you try to figure out what the meaning of that word is that you weren't sure based off of the context of the rest of the sentence. So that's how I read scientific journals as well, because let's face it, I don't know every single thing about science. So I read them the best that I can. And what I don't know, I look up. And it's changing all the time that you can't know everything, right? I mean, it may be slow changes, but it is changes, right? I mean, it does, the interpretation of the science does change. Yeah. Um, and so that is that is difficult to stay um, abreast of every single thing that's happening. That's why it's, you know, we kind of get pigeonholed into our um, disciplines, our scientific disciplines, and we focus more on that. And even that in itself can still be a huge area of expertise mm. that you have to look into. So understanding what's happening in the rest of the world is even more complicated. So I lied. I have one more question. Would you... <laughs> trust so and this is going to be a tricky question if you have a pundit that you trust that is really good about sourcing and showing where he's interpreting maybe an article and he's really good at breaking it down in a way that makes it a little bit easier do you feel that's an okay thing or are you kind of against that Um, so it's basically having like a third party that's doing the research for you. Mm -hmm. I, I would hesitate to, um, go all in on something like that. I would maybe again, use it as a, a screening mechanism or a way to get your interest Mm -hmm. because I know that not everybody is super stoked about science like I am. Um, but I wouldn't just trust their interpretation of it. Because, again, they're interpreting something that's already been interpreted, and so you've started that game of telephone. Mm -hmm. So if you want to interpret it for yourself, you go read that article and have that discussion with that 
with someone else maybe who's had, who's read it or listen to what they have to say and then go read it for yourself and decide if you agree with what they say or not. But having someone else interpret science for you is really complicated, right? Because you have, you have your own brain. You get to decide if you believe in that and if their sources were good enough for you to put your trust in. But you're, if you give that up, then you're hoping that other person has your thoughts and the way that your brain works and is proving the analysis to you well enough. And you can't do that through somebody else. Well, I think what I've learned is I have to be better because I totally do exactly what I just asked you. (laughs) 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 Oh, that is, that is absolutely fascinating. I love the way that the, even the original author is still an interpreter. I, I don't think I ever thought of it that way before. So when you say talking about a telephone game, even, even you having an expert interpret it, interpret someone's interpretation, you're still adding a layer and you can miss things. You can mess things up and it gets really messy really fast. And that total, I totally buy that 100%. Yeah. And I, so I use this, um, this silly saying, um, when I tell people about, um, you know, what I do and how science works and, you know, science can't speak for itself. It It's unable to do that. It goes on without us, whether or not we interpret it or whether or not we see it. Science is happening all around us, but it can't speak for itself. So the way I think of it is um, like Dr. Seuss's The Lorax, the way that the Lorax speaks for the trees. Mm-hmm. So scientists, we speak for the science, but we have to be unbiased and we have to be, you know, as true to the science as possible but the science can't do it itself. Mm-hmm. We have to do it for it because like Florax, the trees can't speak. I I think that is very well said. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to, I know um, you can't really plug things because of the field you're in, but I did want to give you an opportunity to maybe shout out a favorite science website or things that someone um, that has more interest in maybe learning more about science and how to get into the field. If you have anything that you wanted to shout out right now, I wanted to give you an opportunity before we sign off. Um, Let's see. Well, I think just as a general thing about science, um, I think the great thing about science is that we are constantly trying to improve ourselves as a community because science can always learn more from itself And I think that that's one way that keeps me super excited and passionate about science is because I know that I can constantly improve and that we can always be better than what we're doing now and interpreting it and coming together as a community and disagreeing with each other, but still coming together as a community. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is just really great about science. Um, Like I said, PubMed is a great resource. Um, It's an online resource that you can use to get peer reviewed articles. Um, and if you want me to plug another podcast that people can listen to Absolutely. that's specifically about science, um, the naked scientists is a really cool podcast. Um, and they also have, um, I've also listened to science Fridays. That one, um, can be pretty fun. So those are just a couple, there should be more science podcasts because we're all a bunch of nerds and we just like listening to what everybody else has come up with. <laughs> And I have one I, I I will admit I don't listen to often, but it's called This Week in Science. It's it is also very good, and it it yeah. hurts my brain, and I honestly think that's why I don't listen to it enough. 
because <laughs> it gets it gets super intense sometimes too. So I'll make sure I have links to all of those resources in the show notes if you guys want to go check those out. That would be great. And Michelle, thank you so much. This uh, my head doesn't hurt quite as much as I thought it would, but I won't lie. I definitely learned a lot. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. This was this was fun. <laughs> this was really fun. I really enjoyed this. Um, there's a high highly likelihood that I will be bringing you back. What I would love to do sometime is maybe have two scientists, maybe in the same field, talk about something and me just kind of sitting here going, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Cause I do really enjoy <laughs> these conversations and especially what I do for a day job. I never think about stuff in this way. So it was very eye opening for me. So thank you so much. Thank you. All right, guys, we are going to sign off for the day. This is episode one of Why is Science Hard on What You What You Doing with our good friend, Michelle, the government scientist. Thanks again, Michelle, and we'll see everyone next time. And remember, everyone, stay safe out there. <laughs>